Hey, so good to uh, be here with you all and to worship. And I just wanted to uh, thank again our uh, BBS team. You guys did so much. And uh, thank you guys so much for all that you've done. If your parents and uh, your your kids came to that, please stop by and, you know, if uh, just encourage and thank them. I think it makes a big uh, difference. So make sure you do that. You know, today we look at this last section in James, and it's a topic on prayer. And often when we think about prayer, it's kind of something that we feel uneasy about, guilty about. You know, if you're at a, a party or something fun and someone comes to you and says, hey, how's your prayer life? It would really kind of kill the mood for you maybe. Um, and so, uh, but yet we shouldn't think of it that way. Uh, it's opportunity for us to now go to God, into the presence of God. And James here gives us some wonderful insights about prayer, the condition of who we are and um, how that determines how we should pray and so on and so forth. And we're going to be looking at that. You know, um, there's uh, kind of four occasions that is mentioned here. When, when you should pray. And the three out of the four are difficult occasions. And we're going to look at the three or the four. And then, you know, so when we should pray, then how we should pray. And just wrap it up with that. Uh, just a background here. And James, from end of chapter 4 till now, it's his warnings against the rich of this world. The rich people of this world. Um, things that back then, 2,000 years ago, and now, that there is some commonalities that those who are rich, those who have some resources, can fall into these issues in the church. And so he speaks about last, the last passage that we looked at yes, uh, last week was about patience right? About waiting on the Lord and endurance. And then now it's talking about prayer. And these are the two things that he addresses that we probably dislike the most, right? at least for me, waiting and hardships, waiting and hardships. And you think about waiting. It's the rich that says, hey, you know what? I can't wait anymore. I will pay money to go on a private road, right? I can't wait at this line at the airport uh, to keep all of us safe. So I will pay money and I will have a... So we think about it in that manner. We hate waiting. You know, our probably three, the three letters that we hate the most are like the DMV, right? We just hate waiting, right? Uh, just simply because of that, I ended up getting AAA just to bypass the DMV. Like, oh, I love AAA much better than Ds and Ms and Vs. Anyway, so on. So he's he addressing the the rich of this world, and the part he now talks about, he says, is about prayer. So uh, the rich of the world have, and, you know, some of you are going, well, not applicable to me. I'm not that rich. You are rich. We are all rich, especially in the perspective of history and in the perspective of our global, uh, you know, uh, the money that's out there. We're the richest. We're the cream of the crop. You know, when we have more, just as many cars as we have people and drivers and everyone has a, you know, a phone and uh, we're rich, right? You are rich. And it is easy for us as rich people to want to pay for something, to pay for service. And if it's good, I'll leave a tip and I want to pay for this. Whereas the beggar says, I can't pay for any of this. The beggar is just grateful. They can't be choosers, as we say. And they say, I will take whatever you give me. And it's easy for us to approach God like the rich person, like the consumer, and say, hey, let's have an interaction. Right? I will pay for this. If I do this, God, won't you do this for me? And when we now face struggles, 
and we face suffering, and we face sickness, which we're going to look at, these occasions, it is easy for us to go to God and say, God, what's the deal? Where's your end of the bargain? I've been a good boy. Why is this happening to me? It's easy for us to approach God in the mindset of a consumer, say, God, what do I have to do? What's my end of it? And how are we going to now get what I want? What do you want from me? It is the child, it is the little child that will go to a parent and not talk about, not think about what can I trade and what can I get back. They just think it's, boy, what's yours is mine. And they have a boldness to their approach in this way. And so we have to approach God. You know, prayer is the way we approach God and we have to approach him. Not as a consumer, not as a business transaction, but we have to approach God as a beggar saying, God, thank you for all that you've given to me. Uh, it's interesting. I was reading this book called Habits of Grace by David Mathis, and he talks about prayer, and he says, and he talks about the privilege of prayer. He says, the speaking God not only has spoken, but he also listens. He stops, he stoops, he wants to hear from you, he stands ready to hear your voice. And think about the uh, wonders of prayer. And so, when we now come... Some of us have given up on prayer because we feel like God won't understand this. Um, my life is so difficult, maybe God doesn't care, so why would I even pray to him? Uh, tough things are happening to me, uh, I got to go and fix it myself. Or maybe things are good, and we say, boy, life is so good. I got raised this week, and my kids got one of the principals on a roll, or I just got a new house. And you say, boy, life is so good, I forget about God. And so on all these occasions, it's easy for us to approach God in a Boy, a business transaction type of perspective, but we have to go to him. And, it's, and I love that the occasions of prayer, that we're going to go over these four, um, three out of four are in difficult times. And it points to us that our hardships, our sufferings, the sickness, and all the things that we despise and try to avoid at all costs, it is at those times God is present. God is with you. And it is at those times we have to actively wait and go to him. And so uh, let's look at these occasions for prayer. When should we pray? Number one, it tells us to pray when you're suffering. Look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. James, as he writes this 2,000 years ago, is almost assuming, yeah, there are people among you who are suffering. As we gather like this in our church, are, are we suffering? Probably more than less are suffering at this time over something. And he tells us to pray. It's interesting that uh, he doesn't say it's because you've done something wrong. It's because you didn't do this enough. But he just says, no, go to God in prayer. And it's such a simple answer to such a difficult problem i'm suffering what do i do it's just let him pray god is there god is in the midst of our suffering there is a theology these days where people think if i am good enough god will bless me and some of you have seen the news and it, it just um you know the kind of prosperity preachers say, boy, you know, God wants to give me a private jet. And, you know, it got really bad press. And I was like, oh, it just makes us all look like a big sham. You know, like, oh, and, and, but 
they get them. You know, their churches, um, they'll, get, they'll make sure they get it. You know why? Because they say, boy, I want to get that. And man, if I give to my pastor or if I give to God in this way, maybe I can get my own jet. The motive is that in that way. And it's easy for us to somehow gravitate towards that. But he says, no, your suffering doesn't mean that God is not blessing you. Your suffering doesn't mean that you are not in the will of God. This is the part of the Christian life. And the moment we could grasp that truth, everything now makes sense. This is wisdom. And so, uh, as a pastor, I I've get a, a lot of discussions. And most, a lot of times when people, they want to talk, they say, can we meet and talk? It's usually over some suffering. Why? How? You know, is God really there? And, uh, um, and I love that the scriptures describe Christians who are suffering. Because to think that, boy, the Christian life means I don't suffer is not is unbiblical. And so this is the picture we get, that anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Here's the other end of the spectrum. Is any, uh, let him pray. Anyone, in verse uh, 13, is anyone cheerful, let him sing. So this is a second occasion. Something to cheer about. Something good that's happened in your life. You got a bonus. You got a job. You got a raise. You know, you got out of a ticket, speeding the church, whatever it is. You know, something good has happened. Let him sing praise. Because, again, let's go back to the, uh, the context. The rich can say, boy, well, I worked for this. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I worked hard for everything I have. And it's easy to be a practical atheist and say, I'm a Christian. Is anyone cheerful? You have something to cheer about? Give thanks. Let him sing praise. Give the gratitude to the person that deserves this. Because it is tempting and easy to say, boy, I, I came up with this. It was because I'm so cute and smart and I worked so hard. I earned all this. He says, no. Give to God what is God's, you know, um, Last Thanksgiving, the Washington um, Times, I believe, uh, John MacArthur had written this wonderful article about the atheist dilemma on Thanksgiving Day. And he quotes even um, probably the most famous atheist, Richard Dawkins. And Richard Dawkins once shared at a conference a few years ago as he was speaking that at times when he looks at, and this is what he said, that when he looks at the Milky Way or the Grand Canyon, he is overcome by a profound feeling of thanksgiving. But this is, he's an atheist. And he says it's, uh, but he describes it as it's a feeling of sort of an abstract gratitude that I am alive to appreciate these wonders. And he also said, when I look down a microscope, it's the same feeling. I am grateful to be alive to appreciate these wonders. This isn't gratitude. This is just a feeling. Because they have no one to give their thanks to. And uh, uh, John MacArthur says at the end, you know, uh, it's one thing to give a tip to someone who's helped you. But there's a profound dilemma when you go look at God's hand of creation in the Grand Canyon or the Milky Way. And who can you give your little tip to? The amount of gratitude is that much bigger. You know, any parent has gone through this, right? I went through this with my daughters. I still go through this, right? Um, I have to teach them 
a few things you have to teach your kids what to say. And one of the things you have to teach them is, what is it? Say thank you, right? Say thank you. Say thank you, you know, and someone bought you a meal. Make sure you say thank you. Say thank you to strangers. And then we have to tell them at home, right? Say thank you, you know. Um, they say thank you to your mom. It's Mother's Day. She gave you life. Okay, so give thank you. Say thank you. Write that card now and make it look like you spent time on it. But she will cry, right? So write that card and say thank you. And we have to teach them those things. A parent who doesn't teach the child to say thank you. We say, well, it's, it's horrible. They're rude. What is wrong with them? It's the ability to say, I have someone else to thank. And maybe for some of us, there was something you were praying for. And you wanted and you needed it. And you, man, you were so excited. Well, give thanks. Don't keep that to yourself. Don't assume that it is something you just did. Somehow God has given you the ability to have these things. God has granted you all these things. So give thanks in this way. Third occasion. And this is a difficult one. Is anyone, verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Third is sickness. So we have suffering, just a general type of suffering. This is what the prophets, he says in the previous section, went through the suffering, the hardships of life. The second part is things you're rejoicing over. And thirdly is physical sickness, which all of us have to deal with, personally or our loved ones. How should you respond when you are now dealing with sickness? And he says something very particular, very specific. Call the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. There's a little phrase there, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And I just want to spend a few moments on this. Um, there's been many interpretations of this. Some have said, boy, it's kind of like a sacrament almost. It's like baptism with water. So a pastor or elder should carry some kind of oil and put that on the person. And so, so there are some pastors, they carry little vials of oil, right? And they'll, they'll anoint or they'll put it on their head and they'll pray for them. Um, and so is what James here talking about, like a religious ceremonial uh, sacrament? Is it, are we supposed to do it in this way? Uh, I don't think that's what it's saying here. I don't think he wants us to go through a formula, right? Because it's ultimately it's the Lord who heals. So it's not the formula, right? It doesn't mean that if the elder and pastor does the oil, there's something magical in the oil. I don't think there's something of that nature. So the second part, and some have interpreted this as, oh, there's medicinal qualities. You know, oil was used kind of like to, like as a medicine. So it's like the pastors and elders, you know, don't just pray, but give a medicine. So carry around medicine. So does this mean, you know, Pastor John is packing like drugs, you know, and he is now dispensing drugs and you page him middle of the night and he'll meet, no, but he gives you drugs. That's what it's basically saying. No, because you would go to the doctor and then you would go to pharmacists and you would get the drugs in that way. What I think it means, and the, the anointing of oil we see uh, in the gospel stories, Jesus is anointed with oil, you know, the woman, you know, washes it with her hair. Uh, giving oil is like a fancy lotion or has some kind of perfume quality. Uh, for those who travel, they didn't have showers and clean clothes, and they were walking hours in the heat, and they arrive at someone's house, and they just could smell themselves. Hopefully, right? I mean, um, 
it's interesting. The people with body odor, they don't smell themselves for some reason. I could smell them, but they can't. But that's a whole other topic, right? So, uh, but you would anoint them with oil. You say, hey, here's some oil. And it was kind of like lotion, you know, your skin is all chapped and it's oil and it smells nice. It was a sign of hospitality. So you're not going, oh my gosh, I smell, I'm dirty, my lips are all chapped, I've been walking out in the sun all day and I'm here, here's some oil. What they're saying, I think what James is saying here, is let them take care of you. So it's not such a religious ceremonial type of thing, a medicinal thing, but he's just saying, let them invite you in and take care of you. So the rich and the proud can say, oh, I don't want anyone to know about my sickness. I don't know anyone to know about my condition. You know, they might look down on me. But he said, no, let them invite you in. Let the leaders of the church pray with you, pray together. Let them minister to you. Let them care for you, almost like putting anointing with oil. It'll help you. Be accountable to them. And so we are called to pray. If you are going through a sickness, and we have prayer cards in your bulletin, right? You could cut out and you could write a prayer request. Get those and we pray. If you want a personal touch, you know, you could come up after and ask one of our pastors or Michael Engelberg, who's one of our elders, hey, can you pray for me? I pray. Or if you say, oh, can you come and visit? I'm in the hospital or I'm going through. And, and this is a, a, all a part of us doing church together. And so pray when you are sick. And fourthly, he says, pray for the forgiveness of sins. It goes from the circumstances, right? Good things, bad things happening, suffering and, and, and good things, to now physical sufferings, and now spiritual problems. And maybe, he says, you've been struggling spiritually, right? In verse 15, the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. He has it in a separate category, and what he is not saying is, if you are sinning, you're going to suffer physically. No, it's a separate category. And he says, if now you are struggling spiritually, you have guilt, you know you shouldn't have done these things, or it's been so long since you prayed to God, and it's so hard. He goes, you, especially that person, come and pray. You'll be forgiven. We experience this as, as a child, but there's nothing freeing as being forgiven. Getting caught for doing something wrong and then now having that fear of when mom or dad gets home and then you go through the punishment and then now it's done and there is this moment of freedom. He says, same thing. God has forgiven you. Come to him. Don't think, boy, I am so bad. I am so awful I can't go to him. And I've talked to people along the way. They say, ah, oh, I need to get right before I show up at church. It's embarrassing. I need to get right before I come. And that in itself is a, a business transaction type of mentality. Boy, I need to get myself ready so now I can go and bargain again with God. I need to get my life in order so I can go and tell him how good my life is. No, no, come to him. You'll be forgiven. Go and pray to him, and he forgives you instantly, right? So how should we pray? You've got all these instances, right? The suffering, the joyful, the sick, 
uh, the spiritually sick. How should all of us as a church pray? Then these two things. We should pray, pray fervently. Pray hard. Pray often. Uh, pray loudly if you're a loud person. Pray quietly if you're a quiet person. But pray hard. It tells us here the illustration. James, remember it all throughout his letter, it uses illustration after illustration. That's why it's such a popular book. He uses Elijah. He goes, remember Elijah? He prayed for the rain to stop and it stopped. And he prayed again and the rain came. And he reminds us about Elijah. This is the illustration how he prayed. He says in verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. Verse 18, and he prayed again and the heavens gave rain. The heaven gave rain. He says, remember Elijah? He is just like you and me. Now some of us might have a picture of Elijah. And you picture him somehow always praying, holy, um, strong, boy, faith-filled. And you say, boy, I, I don't know if I could ever be like Elijah. But the example James points out to is this example of when he prayed for the rain to come, waiting to stop. What does he do? It is in 1 Kings 18 and 19. And at that point, this is the whole context of when that happens. Jezebel wants to kill him. Here is this mighty man of God afraid of a woman, right? He is afraid of Jezebel to the point. In, in 1 Kings 18 and 19, he now is in depression and he asks God, God, just take my life. He is suicidal. Now, James says, he is a man with a nature like ours. He's just like you. He's just like me. We all doubt. We all struggle. Our faith sometimes is not as strong as we demonstrate it to be. And, you know, this is comforting. Because I come as, in this, as a pastor, but, oh, you go, oh yeah. There are times things are so difficult. There are times I struggle with God. There are times, God, are you there? God, I don't want to do this. And there are times we all struggle. And he says, he's a nature just like me. But he prayed. And as he was running for his life, asking God to take his life, he prays. And it's in 1 Kings 18, 46, that it says that the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. In the midst of his turmoil, God's hand was on Elijah. And as you are here today, and you say, gosh, yeah, I got so much to pray for. Life is so tough. Boy, my uh, in-laws or my parents are aging. It's difficult. And, you know, they're getting older. And my, my children are this. Or I got to pay the bills. In the midst of all of that, God's hand is upon us. And secondly, he says, how should we pray? Pray, pray in Jesus' name you've been in church, you know, that's the phrase you're waiting for before you get to eat, right? And that person on Thanksgiving is praying, praying for everyone, praying for the world, peace, and, you know, just Jesus' name, let's eat. That's like the, the closing of it. What does that mean, right? You say, well, what does that mean? It says, you know, uh, verse 14, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, this idea the name of God, in the name of Christ, we approach God the Father. It means we come to the Father and we bring his name, his merits. He represents us. And so I can now get now access because of him. That's interesting. You know, we, 
Um, our family is going to Japan with uh, Igas and, uh, and our team from Brea and Irvine, and we're getting ready for our mission trip. And one of the things that our daughters have to do is they have to, you know, they're doing fundraising and prayer support. You know, they're getting people ready. And so they have to raise money. And it's kind of, for them, it's kind of intriguing. And they look at it, and they look at this list, and there's people that have given, you know, hundreds, and they're giving money for them to go to this mission trip. But it's interesting because most of those people, those names, they don't even know them, right? And it's hilarious. They don't even know these people. They're definitely not friends with them. They definitely don't follow them on Instagram or whatever. These, who are these old people? And yet they're paying. I, and I have to remind them. I say, it's not because you're so cute and smart and all of those things. They don't even, you know, if they saw you in the street, they might just pass you by. They might not even recognize you. It's because it is your aggressive grandma that is handing out these letters, right, to her friends. And it is your aggressive grandpa that is calling all of his friends that he at one time or another done something for her saying, you better do this. And so there are all these names. Even a lot of them, I was like, I don't know these people. Well, they, I, they, I don't know. Who are these people? I mean, we get that, right? It's grandpa saying, hey. Hey, I'm, I'm giving you this. His grandma saying, hey, it's, it's here, it's here, it's, it's, this is my child. The person who gets it, the person with all the resources gets this, says, okay, I don't know them, but I know you. I, I, you know, I don't have a relationship with them, but I know you. And when we go to Christ in prayer, and this is the, the, probably the, the part we miss often. We pray in his name. We go to the Father with all the merits of Christ. We said, I haven't prayed enough. I've sinned too much. I've doubted too much. I complain about way too much, but I still come to you today. Can you help me in Jesus' name? Shape up before you show up. He says, no, because you come with the blood of Christ that covers your sins, you are my child. And it is done. And so there is a humbling aspect of us going to Christ. Asking to use his name. Go to the Father. Father hears us. Now blessed by the name of Christ. And what, when we go and approach God, no longer do we have to bring the animals of sacrifice and be very careful in this way because the Lamb of God has shed his blood for us. And we have access to him. And we go to him. I love this picture that Tim Keller shared in one of his sermons. He says that it is only a child. Only a child that could wake up the king at three in the morning. And ask their dad for a glass of water. A child can do that. But let's not approach him. Like we have something to prove. But let's approach our heavenly father. As a little child, say, Dad, give me some water. Dad, I need you. Dad, this is tough. Can you help me? In Jesus' name, he will answer us. Let's pray together. Lord, what a relief it is for us to know that it is not by our own merits or our prayer techniques or the amount that we pray but it is by what Christ has done on the cross. And God, so uh, that gives us 
big sense of relief, freedom. And we approach you now in that way. Heavenly Father, we are privileged. We're in awe that we can speak to you and you hear us. So God, help us to go to you. Lord, some of my dear sisters and brothers here are suffering, are struggling. God, would you comfort them and strengthen them at this moment? Some, Lord God, are, are dealing with just being far from you. Sin and uh, guilt is, is keeping them away. God, would you share your forgiveness with them at this moment? Some of us, God, things have been going so well. God, would you remind us again that it is you who give all things and we want to give praise to you. What a privilege it is that we could sing and we could pray and you hear us, God. We thank you for the access we have in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you. So God, today we pray in his name. Amen.